Thank you, choir, for your diligence and preparing for this moment to encourage us. And let me just say to you that if you have lost the joy of your salvation, this is the day of restoration for you. And that's what we trust will happen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do love you dearly and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us in going to the cross and uh, paying the price of our sin that we did not deserve, but Lord, giving us eternal life. And so today we just thank you for your goodness. We praise you and we bless you and honor you. And Lord, we want to do that every day of our lives. And so we need you and we trust that you will help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and as we are turning there, let's be reminded that God is good all the time. Today, we want to talk about being motivated by God's goodness. And we want to look at this passage, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. But thinking specifically of the last three verses, and let's stand in honor of God's word. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You may be seated and may God bless his word. I had amazing parents. They were wonderful people. They did us good all the time. They taught us the ways of God and really encouraged us to see how Christianity was the superior way of life, which many of you parents are doing, and I applaud you for that. We need to teach our children the, the ways of God. But more than that, our parents were very, very good to us. And as I look back now, I'm just amazed at all that uh, happened and all the things that they did. And I remember one in particular that when uh, we were young, there were four of us kids, <clears throat> my father went out. And he bought a hundred baby chicks. Now, where I grew up in Rio de Janeiro, our house and all of the houses there really are surrounded by walls, brick walls, seven foot high. So everybody in the neighborhood in those days, many years ago, had all kinds of pets. And so it was okay to have all those chicks. And he bought a hundred baby chicks and uh, he got home and he said, I'm going to divide these. I'm giving these to you. And so each one of us got whatever it was at that time, theoretically 25, but uh, some of those died, but others made it just fine. And it was our responsibility to take care of them. Now, my father not only gave them to us, he obviously he bought the food to take care of those baby chicks, which he did. And then not only that, then of course there had to be in those first days electricity to take care of the baby chicks so they wouldn't die and they'd be under the heat. And so obviously he paid for that also. And, but as, as time went by, it was our responsibility to take care of them. However, uh, that wasn't so easy. And so uh, there was somebody that worked at our house and my father obviously paid that person to do some things and chores around the house. So he also paid them to take care and help us take care of those baby chicks. 
So he not only bought them, paid for the food, paid the electricity, paid that person. He also had my mother prepare the chickens when they grew. You see, my mother grew up on a farm and on the farm, in those days, you couldn't go to the grocery store and just buy the chicken all ready for you to fry. You had to prepare the chicken, if you know what I mean. And so not to be very gory with the details, my mother did it like they used to do on the farm. And so she prepared those chickens and it took a while. But after that, she took them to the kitchen and obviously fried them and got them ready for the table. And I tell you, it was a wonderful moment when they brought them to the table. However, before we ate them, my father pulled out some more money. Now he said, I'm going to buy these chickens that belong to you. And uh, so he paid each one of us for those chickens. And then we all sat down and ate the chickens that used to belong to us that now belong to him. Now, that's what I call the goodness of a parent. He bought those twice. And, um, you know, you'd say, now, was that a good deal or was that a good deal? Well, at least for us, it was a winning proposition. But, you know, that was just the goodness of an earthly father. I don't know if your earthly father ever did uh, something quite like that for you, but whether he did or not, let me tell you, your heavenly father has. In fact, your heavenly father has done for you what your earthly father could never do, and that was to give you so much more and to be so much better. And the goodness of God is in everything that he does. And we can see that in so many ways in Scripture. For example, we know that the Bible says in, in Genesis 1, 27, that God created you in his image. And just the creation, just bringing you into this world was an amazing goodness of God. If you think about it, why should you be here anyway? You're here because of the goodness of God. But not only that, in Jeremiah 1, 5, he tells Jeremiah that before he existed, God already knew him. And that's the goodness of God. And, you know, there's some commentators and Kyle and Delich who interpret that passage like that, along with other theologians, that actually before you even existed, before uh, anything had come, God already knew you. But then you were formed in your mother's womb and God knew that. And uh, he tells Jeremiah that before he was born, he was set apart to become a prophet to the nations. And let me just uh, remind you that that applies to every single person in this building. We are all to be proclaimers of truth. And the world has come to us, 210 languages are spoken right here in this city. And I've said this before, but if we were a country, we would be number seven in the world in languages spoken in a particular location. And so here they are, and it is our responsibility to really share the word of God. But we have been appointed as prophets, and that's because of the goodness of God. But beyond that, it's interesting that King David, in, in this insightful passage of Psalm 139, he reminds us that God intricately designed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. And that's the picture of the goodness of God that he knits us together. Imagine taking time to do that while we are being developed. But you know what's interesting about that passage? When David looked at himself, he said this. He said, God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. Now, I like that because David 
really accepted himself. He liked what he saw because he saw in the creation of himself the goodness of God. You realize that so many, many people don't believe this verse and 90% of teenagers, according to some statistics, don't accept themselves. If they're short, they want to be tall. If they're tall, they want to be shorter. If they have blue eyes, they want brown eyes or whatever eyes they don't have. Uh, If they have curly hair, they want straight hair, but if they have straight hair, then they want curly hair. One time I was talking to a young man and I asked him this question. I said, if you were looking in a mirror and you had the power to change something about yourself, would you use that power? He said, I would. I said, what would you change? He said, my feet. I said, your feet, why would you do that? He said, because they're ugly. I have ugly feet. I said, so how do you know you have ugly feet? He said, because we were playing basketball in the gym and my friend said, wow, you have ugly feet. And so he said, I have ugly feet. Now, a verse came to my mind about that time. And um, some people say you can't do this with scripture, but I say you can. And uh, I asked him this question. I said, have you been sharing the gospel with your friends lately? And he said, no. I said, did you know the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who share good news? And I said, do you suppose that perhaps what God really wants to do with you is simply when you look at your feet, just think to yourself, am I sharing the good news? Because if I am sharing the good news, then I can be assured that I have beautiful feet. You see, the problem is, is that we and people that aren't happy with themselves, and by the way, I can give you many illustrations of adults in different circumstances who feel the same way, not only of their appearance, but their abilities and their environment and their parentage. But the bottom line is that the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The issue is that God is not finished with us yet. If we would really relax, we're like a painting on a canvas, on a tripod, and God is trying to finish his work in us if we would just be quiet and let him do it. You see, it's the goodness of God that does that for us. Now, God not only knew you before you were conceived, not only created you and knit you together, he gave you life. You breathe today because God has given you that oxygen at this very moment. That's the goodness of God. And then Jesus Christ came to this earth and modeled life at its highest. That's the goodness of God. You see, Jesus spoke truth. He lived truth. He rebuked the false religions of that day so that you and I would be able to live life at its fullest here on earth. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wasn't talking about the future. He was talking about the very moment in which we are living That's the goodness of God. And finally, he died for you and me on the cross to forgive us our sins and to be made sin for us so that in Christ, you could become the righteousness of God in him. That's an amazing statement. Do you realize that when God looks at you, he really sees you through Jesus Christ. And so he sees the righteousness of his son, which is then seen in our lives. We are the righteousness of God. And because 
you are sons and daughters of the king. And because you became the righteousness of God in him, there are special privileges for you. The Duchess of Cambridge, Catherine Elizabeth Mountbatten Windsor Middleton <laughs> is married to the Duke of Cambridge, William Arthur Philip Lewis. I didn't know he had all those names. But they are known to you as Kate Middleton and Prince William. And unless the baby has been born in the last two or three hours, has it been? Anybody know? All right, well then, it means that she's still pregnant with the future king or queen. And she's the talk of the worldwide media that sits around and speculates on what she's going to call the baby. I mean, that boggles my mind that uh, they're trying to figure out if it's going to be Victoria or, or I don't know, William II or whatever. But, uh, you know, because they belong to the royal family, this couple has special privileges that you and I do not have. I mean, they can go right into the palace. They have the freedom to do that, which you and I don't have. The queen might go out of her way to talk to them. They can sit at the royal table and perhaps receive some wisdom from the queen and Prince Philip. But the reason's very simple. The prince is the queen's grandson. He belongs to the royal family. But did you know that there's something that's so superior to that? And it comes from your God. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, as we heard just a little bit ago by the choir. You have a privilege even greater than the prince and his wife. You've been born from above, and therefore you are the children of God, and that means that you can enter into the very presence of God. You can go right up to his throne, and you can talk to him, and you can listen to him. You can tell him you love him, and you can listen to him say to you, I love you. You can receive counsel from him. Almighty God, I've been in a few countries, and I find that in some countries, the people are afraid of the God that they worship. And they're always trying to appease their God, where you and I can come right in boldly, says, into the very presence of our King of Kings. You see, you have a privilege even greater and better than they do. In Matthew chapter 7, we're told how good God is to his children. We find out that if we ask, we receive. If we seek, we find. If we knock, he opens the door. And then he compares the earthly father to the heavenly father. And it's obvious that they cannot compare. But imagine if our earthly fathers have done something good for us, what our heavenly father will do in comparison. And then as a result of his goodness, Jesus says this, so that in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so based on the goodness of God and based on the goodness of God, you have the privilege of blessing those around you and do to them what you would like for them to do to you. You know, one of our families, and I have permission to, 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 to share this, recently 
about two months ago, we had a tremendous storm here in Houston and lightning struck two trees in their backyard and then it struck their house. And their house caught on fire. Now, the house was catching on fire at one end and fire was already going up from the roof. But they were inside at the other end of the house and they didn't know that their house was on fire. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in that situation, wouldn't you like for someone to come banging on your door, breaking it down if necessary, and screaming for your name and saying, get out, get out, get out, your house is on fire? Of course you would. And you know, in the spiritual realm of life, there are people who need to be warned, people who are facing critical and dangerous situations in their life that may not even know what they're facing. They need to be warned. Do you know, the good thing is that in Romans, it says the goodness of God leads man to repentance. And a lot of times we're so fearful of, of approaching people about God and about Christ. But let me tell you that God has already gone ahead of so many, many people. And there are so many people, especially in Houston, that are doing well. And let me tell you, God has been so good to them. Even to the non-Christian, God has been good. And he is leading them to that moment that they could just hear from you a sprinkle of the word of God or of God's name, or maybe perhaps in a very diplomatic way, going into their home and sharing how Jesus Christ loves them, how God wants them into his fold and God wants to be their savior through Christ. And you could share that. You know, in our recent Telewood Church survey, 75% of you said that evangelism is the job of everyone in the church. Well, let me tell you, I'm glad about that because three out of four people believe that. And I tell you, that's wonderful because it's true. It's true. And that's why we'll again teach in the fall, a course here at the church on how you can share your faith with confidence. We want you to know. We want you to do it. But you see, based on this on God's goodness and our need to do unto others as they would do unto us. We can do that by living up to the confidence that God has in each one of us. God has confidence in you. Did you know that? Do you know that some of the most powerful statements ever made by Jesus about you are in Matthew chapter 5. And when you accept and reflect and become what Jesus tells you about yourself, you'll make an amazing difference in the world in which we live. Jesus said, you're the light of the world in Matthew 14. And in that text, he infers that you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. And on top of that, he infers that you're a lamp that gives light to those in your house. And then he says, therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. And on July 2nd, according to CBS television, and because of the uh, heat in the region over there in San Francisco area, uh, 9,500 people from the Pacific Gas and Electric customers were without power. That affected many homes. These outages were caused mainly by the increased use of air conditioners in the summer, heat, and then there was no power. When there's no power, 
there's no light. When there's no light, people are in darkness. And that's in the physical realm of life. But even more so in the spiritual realm, that's true. But one day, you and I receive spiritual power, which is found in the Holy Spirit. The power never goes out, this power. The Spirit of God in us allows us to be the light of the world. And you know, you don't have to work to be light. You're light because the Spirit of God lives in you. The question is, are you letting your light shine? You realize that the world in which you live and I live, the people around you is confused despite appearing to have it all together. There's darkness in their soul, although there's a forced smile on their face. There's sadness in their heart, although they try to show gladness. There's a question mark, even though they place a comma or a period at the end of their thoughts. Now the light that is in you can make the difference. There's power in that light. You've been positioned to make a difference in your chaotic and hurting world and crumbling world that needs love. It needs your touch. It needs your hand. It needs your good words and your good heart. I want you to watch and listen. Our young people are on a mission trip and uh, God used them to be the light in one particular place. And here it is, watch this. We returned from New Mexico, from the high school mission trip. Four teams traveled to New Mexico and sought the Spirit's guidance as to where to serve in New Mexico. Our team of eight students and two sponsors stopped in Texas along the way to pray about opportunities to serve. And despite the open doors we encountered in Texas, our team felt the need to move on to New Mexico and serve there specifically. In fact, one student said that he was restless until we moved on to Taos, New Mexico. And once we got to Taos, he said he felt the Lord calling him to serve there and for our team to minister there in Taos for the remaining of our days. Now, Taos is a spiritually dark place where we encountered much spiritual warfare. We weren't the only team in Taos. In fact, the Lord was moving through two teams in Taos and ministering to the, the Pueblo of Native Americans there, as well as the people in the city. There are a lot of New Age beliefs in Taos. There are Zen meditation centers and Buddhist centers there. But despite the closed doors and the walls put up by the people in the town, our students desired to be the light of the world for those in Taos, for those living in that darkness. We ministered for several days there, and the more closed doors that we found, the more motivated and compelled the students on our team felt to share the light with those in that town. We felt like Satan's schemes came to a climax Wednesday, which was our last night there. We had left a church there singing praises to the Lord, joyfully praising his name and singing in the van together when we came across a tragic pedestrian accident on the highway. And I believe that it was the Lord's plan to put us there just seconds after that accident to pray for the survival and the salvation of that young man lying in the road. And despite the several tragic accidents, in Taos that day and in the surrounding region. We believe that Satan's plans were thwarted, that it was all for God's glory, that we were working there, and that he used Satan's plans for his victories that day. Praise God that they are a light in the world. Many years ago, I was privileged to go to Israel, and we were in front of our hotel at night. It was dark, and our leader pointed to some lights. It just seemed to be up there in the, in the middle of that darkness. And he said, you know, that's a city set on a hill. 
Now, in Jesus' day, obviously, there was no electricity, but there were oil lamps. They gave out light. You don't need much light to be the light to help others get to their destination, but you do need to be light. So today, I'm going to ask you, will you allow the goodness of God be the light that shines in this dark world with your words and your good attitude to meet people's needs? Will you be the city set on a hill that when a person is lost, they can look to that and say to themselves, there is hope, I can get to that light. Will you be the lamp in your house that calms the fears, gives hopes, and leads each one to depend on God? You see, all of this is possible because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's our privilege because of the goodness of God. And this morning, perhaps you just need to be reminded that God has great confidence in you and you're to be the light wherever you go. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been planning on joining Tallowood for a long time. You like this place. And uh, we would love for this to be the day in which you do it. And in just a moment, I'll be down here. Pastor Larry will be with me. And we'd just be so glad if you'd come. We'd love to have you join our church by letter. Perhaps some of you have accepted Christ, but you've never followed the Lord Jesus in baptism. You could come and say, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Christ and show the world that I really trust him and love him and want to follow him. Perhaps you're here and you've never come to the wonderful realization that Christ is the King of Kings, that he died for you on the cross. He wants to save you. And today you could come forward and tell us, pray for me. I want to receive Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. And while we sing this hymn, you come. We'll be here to receive you. Come quickly. Come now. Don't wait. Let the Lord be your Savior. Let's stand together as we sing.